You're listening to the weekly podcast for Hillcrest Covenant Church. For more information, go to hillcrestcovenant.org. Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, This is a a fun weekend when it comes to, we get to officially be on the same page with the Christmas season is starting, right? Okay, like I know there's controversy, right? There's controversy. Like even in our house, there's controversy of when you can set up the Christmas tree, when you can start decorating the house, all those kind of things. But I think we all in this room, can I get a nod of heads that say, yes, let's go. We can start decorating and celebrating the Christmas season. Um, I got a little concerned. I'm not really huge on getting in debates with people about when it should start or not, but I was a little concerned in August when I was in Costco and saw like Christmas trees and ornaments and all these things up. I'm like, okay, that seems just a little bit early, but, but you know, it is, it is what it is. But yes, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Um, and, and what I want to do is um, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, the word waiting this morning. But before we even get into that and we get into talk about, ad, about Advent, um, I want to talk about some of the things that sometimes we look forward to when it comes to celebrating the Christmas season. For instance, in our house and maybe in yours, um, there is like a constant conversation about how many days it is until Christmas and maybe even how many minutes or seconds there could be until Christmas Eve comes and Christmas Day comes and we get to gather together as a family and open presents and celebrate together, right? Like maybe in your house it's the same or, or even like when we set up the Christmas tree, uh, it's, it's a big deal and, and I'm always amazed at how many ornaments actually show up on the tree. It's almost like there's rabbit, they're rabbits, you know, like they keep multiplying themselves. And, and I also look at some of the ornaments. Uh, Mackenzie was saying the other day, Dad, where's this one from? And I'm like, I have no idea where that one came from. Kind of interesting. Uh, but there's different things that people have when it comes to Christmas. Or, or maybe some of you here, when it comes to the Christmas season, you look forward to travel about getting away with your family and friends and maybe that awkward relative that is kind of distant, but somehow they work their way into uh, your travel plans and you're just kind of like, how did they get here? But, you know, it just, it just happens. Um, or, or for me, I always wonder, my parents are here, by the way, if you haven't met my parents, they're right over here. My, yeah, so, oh, there we go. Um, I always wondered uh, when we went to grand, grandma's house or um, grandpa's house when I was just curious to see what vegetable was going to land in the green lime jello uh, salad that was going to go. Oftentimes it was carrots or celery. Uh, it, just, it, it was always interesting. But um, actually what I want to do is I want to actually take a moment to talk about nativity scenes. How many of you guys have nativity scenes up in your house? Okay, lots of you. So you might relate to this. Um, and, it, and it's not that I have a problem with nativity scenes. I think they're cool and we, we have them in our house. Um, and, and you don't even have to be super religious to be able to understand what's going on when you look at a nativity scene. But I want to break the news to some of you that might not know this, but nativity scenes aren't always super accurate. Okay, and, and I want to give you a couple examples of some of those that I found on the web that aren't necessarily, um, would probably make the cut for maybe biblical accuracy. For instance, uh, we have uh, this one, the Veggie Tail Nativity Scene. And you might look at it and go, oh, that's cute. That's pretty cool until you kind of focus in and we can't do that. But trust me, in the manger is baby Jesus uh, dressed up in the form of a carrot. Okay, not so accurate. Or what about this one? This one's interesting. A fidget spinner nativity. 
You remember those? Aren't you glad? Aren't we all, can we just all nod in agreement that fidget spinners have kind of worked their way out of our culture? Isn't that awesome? Okay, but if you want to get a nativity scene in the form of a fidget spinner, you can do that here. Or what about this one? This is the Irish nativity. And no offense to anyone that's Irish, but what's interesting about this one is there are three Irish wise men that have clover, gold, and yes, a bottle of Guinness in their hand. <laughs> or what about the meat nativity? The meat nativity, you know? Isn't that interesting? This one went viral. How this went viral, I don't know. But nothing says Jesus and nativity and Christmas like bacon and sausage. Or the cupcake topper nativity scene. You can make cupcakes and then form your nativity scene by putting cupcake toppers on there. And so you can both have a holy moment while consuming lots of calories. And here's my favorite, the hipster nativity scene. Isn't that hilarious? And check out, check out the people with baby Jesus. They're getting a selfie with baby Jesus. Again, lots of different versions. But I think we can all agree that they're not all very accurate. And it's not that these nativity scenes are frauds. It's just that there's so much more to the Christmas story than the characters you usually see and hear in nativity scenes. But if we're really honest, and we want to be honest this morning, the same can be true about our lives. The happy picture of your family moments before the Christmas card picture is taken isn't exactly always what gets seen on the Christmas card. And it's great as Christmas is, it can also be a reminder for some that everything in this world is not great. Sometimes, in fact, it can be a reminder of another story that's going on in our lives. A story where we feel lonely because a loved one that's no longer with us. Or a story where we wish that mom and dad were still together like they were in the past. Or a story where we're reminded of some financial struggles. Or we're reminded of prayers that we have offered up to God that we feel have gone unanswered. Sure, Christmas is fun. It's full of anticipation. But it can also be a time where we wonder, where is God? What is he up to? And why hasn't he come through for us like we had hoped? The nativity scenes just don't tell that kind of story. But if you've ever felt like your story wasn't picture perfect around Christmas time, you're in good company. And what we're going to talk about today, I believe, can speak directly to your heart. We're actually going to start eight days before Jesus was born. Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus, they encountered a man named Simeon. And no, Simeon is not part of most nativity scenes, not even the hipster one. But before we read about Simeon, I want to set up the picture. I'm going to paint a picture for you that was happening long before Simeon came into play. Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah was giving instructions to his people. And the people he was giving instructions to really struggled with obedience. So as a sign of how God would one day provide a way to solve the sin problem, he unveiled a clue 
about the baby Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says this, Then Isaiah said, Hear now your house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. You see, this is one of the prophecies or insights that was not fulfilled for over 700 years. I think we can all agree that that's a long time to wait. And if you've spent much time reading about Isaiah's audience, you know just how bad they were at waiting. They actually had developed a great history of impatience. Here's a couple of examples. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham is told that he would have a son, but he's unwilling to wait for God's timing, so he takes matters into his own hands. And he develops a family conflict that lasts for thousands of years. In Numbers chapter 20, God tells Moses to speak to a rock and make water come out. But he loses his patience. He smacks the rock with a stick. And his impatience resulted in him missing out on entering the promised land. Or look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. God's people are growing tired of following him, and they want a king. And just like all the other nations had. And so God gives them what they want. This leads to division of Israel and lots of people dying. And last but not least, 1 Samuel chapter 13. No surprise here. The king, of, the king that Israel chose had a problem when he had to wait for Samuel to show up to make a sacrifice. This ultimately leads to his own demise in a downward spiral that took the throne from his family. Now, I know we think today that we're better, that we're smarter, that we're more educated, that we're more spiritual than these people from the Old Testament. But don't we all struggle with the same things? Don't we all struggle with impatience? Aren't we continually stuck oftentimes on ourselves and focused on getting our way and especially on our own timeline? The unfortunate truth that we all live in today is that we are all inherently impatient and prideful people. And if we were smart enough, we would learn from the mistakes of the people that have gone before us. But we all know the truth. Most of us struggle with patience and waiting on God's timing. And it's in these moments where we will see one of the first implications of waiting. You see, our response to waiting and how we respond to it reveals where our trust and where our hope really resides. Think about it. When you have to wait even for a minute, how do you respond? How do I respond? I know how I respond. When I'm driving in traffic, I live kind of by corporate woods. When I'm driving home, there's like a half a mile of backed up traffic driving home every day, and I'm freaking out because it's so slow. I'm impatient. Maybe you're like that too. Or maybe it's when your Netflix is buffering, and you just can't sit there patient enough to deal with it. 
or when your phone's trying to connect to the Wi-Fi. As one comedian once said, it's literally going to space, chill out, right? (laughs) If you're anything like me, it's easy to freak out in these kind of moments. But I love what the book of Proverbs says. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, it says this, Patience leads to abundant understanding, but impatience leads to stupid mistakes. Don't you love it how sometimes we just, we read God's word and it just is like, oh, that's a little punch to the gut. But I love it. I love it. Like we build our lives based on what this book says. And I'm thankful that God's word is never afraid of being honest with us. And so when we glance through the accounts of the people of the Old Testament, we get to see that their impatience and their prideful attitudes lead to huge failures. Abraham, he had a kid with his wife's servant, and he started a world war. Moses disobeyed God and missed out on the promised land. Israel elected Saul, lost thousands to the war, and they turned from God. Or Saul, he chose to cut God out. He lost his crown, and this led to both him and his son's death. Hillcrest, we are inherently impatient people. And the end result of our impatience is always the pain of not-so-good decisions. This is why God is so intentional with the process of waiting. Let me say that again. This is why God is so intentional with the process of waiting. And this is not just about waiting for things. It's the process of waiting on the Lord. Our waiting is not just a personal struggle of our will. It's truly a spiritual battle that we are in as we wait on God. This is what Advent is all about. Advent literally means the coming. And it's all about waiting for Jesus. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Dietrich was a German theologian from the 1930s and 40s. And he says this, celebrating Advent means learning how to wait. Waiting is an art which our impatient age has forgotten. We want to pluck the fruit before it's had time to ripen. Greedy eyes are soon disappointed when, they, when what they saw as luscious fruit is sour to the taste. In disappointment and disgust, we throw it away. The fruit, full of promise, rots on the ground. It is rejected without thanks by disappointed hands. Isn't that powerful? If you've ever eaten a piece of fruit that is not quite ripe, you know the frustration and the bitterness that comes as a result of not waiting. There is a painful path that we take when we are unable to wait. You see, the reality is, is that our impatience leads to pride. And pride leads to emptiness, and emptiness leads to bitterness. This cycle happens over and over and over again. Our inability to wait always leads to a place of emptiness and bitterness. But when we wait on God and we follow his timing, not our own, we are always led to a place of fulfillment and joy. You see, when we wait on the Lord's timing, when we wait on him, it leads to humility. Our patience leads to humility. And humility leads to fulfillment 
and fulfillment leads to joy. Let's go back to Simeon for a second. Simeon was a great example of how patience led to joy. Because of their long waiting, because of the, the Jews' long waiting, it was, it was understandable that many Jewish people had given up on God coming through for them. But Simeon was different. Simeon was different. Simeon was a Jew who knew everything that God was doing, and he wasn't going to abandon it. He knew what God had said, what he had promised. In Luke chapter 2, we read this. At the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting. He was eagerly waiting. It's probably one of the most, one of the biggest understatements in history. Simeon was desperately trusting that God would send the Messiah who would save his hurting people. Luke chapter 2 goes on to say, The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came, present, uh, came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon was there. It was almost like it was a dramatic scene in a movie. There's this dramatic music, I'm just imagining. There's this close-up shot of Simeon's face filled with emotion. Finally, after years of waiting, after years of waiting, Simeon gets to see the promise come true. He gets to pick up and hold the Messiah that he had been promised. You talk about a moment of wonder. This was absolutely it. Actually, we have a great IT team here. They do amazing stuff. We actually somehow, I don't know how this happened, but we actually caught a video of Simeon's face. I know it sounds crazy, but this is what Simeon's face looked like. Isn't that amazing? He's like, yes, that's right. That's right. Now, we all know this, though. Okay, sorry. There's no video. It's actually Grizzly Adams, but it's just dramatic effect. I'm sure it was probably something like that. But the reality is, is that Simeon did not know all the details that was going to happen in Jesus's life. He probably had no clue about the incredible miracles that Jesus was going to perform, that he was going to be, that he was going to be killed, and that he was going to rise from the dead. But here's what he knew for sure. God had promised a Savior, and he was holding the Savior in his arms. After hundreds of years of silence, God displayed and showed his faithfulness to Simeon and to the rest of the world. God came through. God came through, and he did it in a way nobody expected. After that, Simeon turned to heaven, and he thanked God that he had lived long enough to see Jesus. And we read, continue to read in Luke chapter 2, it says, He took the child in his arms, he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about 
him. Hillcrest, for Simeon, the long wait was over. He saw the one he had been waiting for. He experienced what he had been waiting for that he had believed was true. The arrival of the living Messiah. Guys, God keeps his promises. And Simeon is a living testimony to that truth. Simeon is a part of the Christmas story that nobody really talks about very much. But his story tells us that when everybody else gives up hope, he held on. He refused to give up because Simeon believed it was worth it to hold on, to trust in the promises of the Lord. He didn't know how it would play out or what it would look like, but he knew that God had made him a promise. And that was good enough for him. No matter what, no matter how long it might take. You see, the big takeaway for us is that we can trust that God will be faithful. Let me say that again. The takeaway for us is that we can trust that God will be faithful in all things. He always comes through on his promises. And I'm guessing for you, and I'm guessing for me, that there are areas in our life where we're, we're really hoping that God comes through, that God shows up. Maybe it's a problem in your life that needs to be fixed. Maybe you want to obey God and be faithful to him, but you just can't seem to get it right. Maybe it's someone close to you going through a difficult circumstance. Maybe through the hard moments that we're dealing with right now as a church, it's hard to go, God, what are you doing? How can we see you in the midst of all of this? This is not a moment to shriek back. It's a moment to trust the Lord in all of it. You see, whatever it is, I want you to know this, that God's working on your story. He's working on mine. God will come through for us. He hasn't forgotten you. And just because it seems like it's been a long time, you're not off his radar. The reality is he cares about you more than you could ever imagine. He's always working on your story and mine. And he always keeps his promises. With that in mind, I want to close with two life lessons that I believe every one of us in this room can learn from Simeon's life. Life lesson number one. When God comes through, it may not be what we expect. When God comes through, a life lesson that you and I need to wrap our life around is the reality that it might not be what we expect. Most people in Simeon's town, they knew all about God's promises. In their minds, they assumed that someday that God would send the Messiah, but the Messiah would come as a political leader, as a military leader, someone powerful who would fight off the enemies and protect the people. It was, very, it was very easy to imagine what that leader would look like or sound like. And yet they got the very opposite of what they expected. They got a baby. God came through on his promise, but no one expected it would look the way it did. 
Chances are when God comes through for you, it may look differently than what you expect as well. But do you really, think about this, do you really want to worship a God who thinks the way you do? Let me ask that again. Do you really want to worship a God who thinks the way you do? I don't, and I hope our church doesn't. Do you really want to follow a leader who has, a be, who has, who has better ideas, better answers, better s- solutions, and can work in situations better than you can imagine? That's what I want to follow. And that's the God that we worship. Life lesson number two. When God comes through, it may not be when we expect. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 4. But when the right time came, God sent his what? His son, born of a woman. Even when things didn't look good, God was arranging the world for the perfect time for Jesus to be born. It was quiet, really quiet for many, many years. And it probably felt like God was doing nothing. But he was arranging a bigger story. And his timing was absolutely 100% perfect. It always is. God hadn't forgotten. In fact, he was paying close attention. And when the time was right, he acted. And I don't know what situation you're going through here at Christmas. I don't know what you're hoping for or praying for. The holidays may be crazy, dysfunctional, lonely, difficult, boring, unstable, And you might be wondering, where in the world is God in all of this? Why isn't he doing something? I want you to know those are normal questions to ask. And they're okay to ask. But I want you to know that God is doing something. He's working in your story. And you can hold on to that hope, even when things don't pan out the way you expect them, or the time when you want them. You see, the promise you can, you can be sure of is that no matter what, we can all, always rely on God's presence to be with us. Simeon learned firsthand this lesson, that God could be trusted to show up. And that's what we're praying for. We are praying for in this season of waiting, in this season of difficulty, in this season where it might be easy to wonder, God, where are you right now? It just seems like you are distant I promise you guys, Hillcrest, he is at work. He's working in your life and he's working in mine. And we can trust him. We can trust him. And that's what we're going to do. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Hillcrest. 